Hello and welcome to uh, yet another episode of the Comics Fondle podcast. My name is Andrew. Uh, my blog is comicsfondle.com. And I'm Vernon. I'm the proprietor of the Comics Gallery, a fine-known comic book retailing establishment on Chicago's North Shore. We've got a good uh, chunk of chunk uh, to talk about today, man. It's like we got our, our programming. Is it been four weeks or six weeks? You know, I think... Since our last podcast. It's, it's can, been more than four weeks. Has it been six weeks yet? Um it's been a while anyway, but I mean, we're not as late as we, we have been at times uh, because I know we wanted to wait for at least the Punisher, which is uh, going to come up. Actually, yes, we you to know see what? That. We are at four weeks. Yep. Yeah, I was thinking it wasn't That's six. Amazing. No, yeah. We're, by not trying to. Uh, by trying to follow a six-week schedule, we're now following a four-week schedule. Yeah, we'll, we'll probably bounce back and forth depending yeah. on the product of the big two. We're going to go into the holidays. We'll see it six weeks. And if we, it's better than that. Hoopah. You know? But uh, what's the big news, man? The big news at Marvel these days. Do you, you know how to pronounce this guy's name? I'm, I'm afraid. I do, I do know how to pronounce his name. You pronounce it Akira Yoshida. Oh, that's his nom de guerre. Yeah. Okay, good. You did see that. Because when we made this list, well, that you know hadn't what? hit yet. Hey, you know what? This is a very standard practice among freelance comic book professionals is to write under a nom de guerre. It's, it's, yeah, but it's looking a little queasy. Now, what was, he, what was he doing under his nom de guerre? He was working at uh, – he as an editor of at Marvel, he was not allowed to – he was double dipping basically – well, at Marvel. At Marvel. Ooh, sneaky poop. Sneaky poop. And, like, I don't know. <laughs> and then there's the whole question of why he was pretending to be Japanese. You know, like, because it turns <laughs> He's out. Psychotic. It turns out that, like, that was calculated to keep, because it, it sounds as though he went with, I'm Japanese, yet I write this way. And yeah. you know, I understand the way you want to do things here at Marvel, so I'll work. I'll, <laughs> I'll bet, work with I'll bet you. He does. Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah. bet he does. I'll work with you. Um, and that kept you know them from hiring actual Japanese people or whatever the fuck. But um, at least one. <laughs> and I just checked Heidi's site. That's what I was checking before we started the show. Yep, there's no update. She's not covering it. She's staying out of it, which is a little weird because yeah. Heidi Heidi's getting into it. Heidi uh, Nathan Edmondson, yeah, the writer. Yeah, Heidi's uh, trying to help people take him down. He apparently is a sexual predator or something of the like. Oh man, I was just gonna say at least it wasn't he wasn't getting nailed for sexual harassment. Fuck, it's all over. Everyone we know is 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 sexually harassing somebody. Next thing you know, my wife is gonna get on here and tell me that she's she's being sexually harassed by her husband. <sighs> God, and th this news falls full in the face of the positiveness that comic book retailers really, really effing need right now for Marvel to put a new face and a direction on their company. Am I not correct on that? You are correct on that. But the thing is, I don't know. I saw the um, – have you seen the Infinity War preview yet? Nope. It's – I can't speak to what how it looks as a movie, but it is 
it's kind of an incredible preview, just like the, the scale of it and just the mixture of like all the iconic characters in a way that, you know, is unlike the other stuff. So I feel like if Marvel can just get in the hype off of Infinity War and somehow carry that, I don't know yeah. what they need to do because they're like, what? Into a, if, they're, if they're successful, they can turn it into a new type of media drug. But the thing is, Marvel has never been has never had more popular characters than right now at this moment. More anticipated characters right now at this moment, and they can't do anything with it. Uh why have they have they ran out of ideas? Or I mean, uh, I thought we were doing okay bringing the cosmic stuff in there, but I don't know. You're the one who likes the you tell I don't you never tell the me cosmic to read a stuff comic. is the next level for this stuff. I think when Wait, I was are we talking kid, about the movies? I'm talking about the comics. Oh, well, I'm, so I'm just saying I'm just saying that Marvel needs to, Marvel Comics needs to figure out a way to exploit the excitement around Marvel movies and things like that. They have not they have not figured oh, out a way to do that. Them and DC both failed big time. I mean, Justice League, you think we got a plethora of Justice League comics? No, we got their lame two crappy monthlies or whatever it is, you know. Uh, and I was like, really? You got nothing for the movie? This is where you're putting all your attention and cash into and you got nothing? I go, it's a freaking holiday. Do you know that my diamond bill was half? I mean, granted, we're in a five Wednesday month we were, but it was half of what it should be this time of year. And I was like, you guys got to do something because if you if you forget that you're publishers, then all else is lost. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay. So that's uh, our... Down so you're saying C.B. Sabolski, is that how you do his name? Yeah, he seems like he's a... Natural predator? No. no, no, he just seems like he's a bit of a scuzz. Like, what are you going to yeah. do? Shocker, yeah. shocker. Yeah, not a shocker, that's for sure. I guess we're just expecting Jesus to come over and save Marvel or something. I don't know. But just because anyway. now they have all the money in the world. They have all the money in the world. Marvel Marvel Comics... Marvel makes money. They're bean counters. Those books, if the ones that lose money aren't out there too long, I mean. Well, not just that, but they're Disney now. They have all the money in the world. Disney has the most successful. They just, what is it? They made $5 billion at the box office this year. Yeah. Like, their brands are all the most popular. Marvel should, you know, Disney should be like, hey, you know, how, how many, what, you, you don't think throwing like $15 million at Marvel wouldn't make it better in terms of like as yeah, a management. and it would be a drop in the bucket for yeah, these guys. Exactly. That Marvel is their licensed properties and everything, right. you know. These are your diamonds, your children, take care of them. You exactly. know, or whatever. These are your whatever the the you know, there's Disney princesses. Marvel Comics are basically Disney princes. Like, that's basically what it is. Yeah, that's what it is because we all like our Avengers and stuff and Spider-Man. Uh, so anyway. Meanwhile, Anyway, October sales were in the toilet again. I think we only lost 15 points from last year at this time. Marvel was, after all their Ballyhooed uh, legacy relaunch with the lenticular covers that suck shit, they only got, what was it, five points on DC? So that all that, and geez, that was like the worst backup yet, anything off a relaunch. So I'm sure they're desperate to get things going. It, it just... I don't know. I've got, I'm going to jump out the window any day now. So let's let's move on to the uh, what was it? The goofy ass burger bush uh, bush burger books ash can. You see that? Yeah, I saw that. Named after who? Who? What was it? What? 
hey, how about that Burger Books ash can we got in the Yeah, did the it, Burger Books like ash cans, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Boy, that was, that was the most, like, underinflated piece of promotional material I think I got in a while. I mean, we looked at the Anthony Bourdain one. I thought that was the one that had fire under it. Everything else was kind of like, nah, here's some sketches and some ideas. Yeah, some sketches. Like, you're like, this is... I hate that shit. Either give me a comic book or fuck it on a stick, man, you know? I got I got I got customers coming in here with sketchbooks. Okay, I want to see right. some meat and potatoes, so I know whether I want to buy it. You know? Yeah, it it did not sell a lot on that idea that like it's going to convince somebody to buy these to a retailer on these books. Yeah, if if they'd only waited a couple of months, so they had some like real stories completed and stuff. Like the Bourdain book looked like the one, and we'll sell that with we do the. Fictional Bourdain comics, you know, there's there's a thing for them. But eh, try it again, Karen. I don't know. Uh, let's see. Comics, comics, comics lots of comics. Time. Here we go. Fucking A, we got to, you know, one of my customers came up to me in the shop. He goes, hey, hey, Vern. He said, you what? And he goes, you got a staff pick sign over there. And I said, yeah. And he goes, it's on a Batman book. And I go, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Ears. And I never saw a staff pick sign on a Batman book before. <laughs> I said, well, you should read it. You know, that was, that's where it's at. That's Batman White. Was it White Knight? Is that it? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Issue two came out. And it was, you know, I'm not going to give him, he's not the latest Alan Moore, but he's a great artist. Yeah. But, but um, Sean Murphy is just working his ass off. I mean, he, we talk about how much work people put into comic books. This guy's like working his ass off. And there's just so much texture going on and it's fun and, it's not incredibly deep, but the artwork helps it. It makes it real gothic and dark and shadowy and creepy. And we got two Harleys. You know, that's good stuff. How'd you like it, if at all? I liked it. No, I did. I'm still on board with this thing. And I mean, yeah, he's not... He's not going to have, you know, the... what it, He's trying to do a definitive Batman story. And what he's getting close to is he's getting close to one of the modern Batman, the post, you know, 19, the post Dark Knight period, right? Like if Dark Knight was the culmination of of Batman until 1986, he's trying to do everything from then on because he's got the movies in there. He's got the fucking uh, cartoon in there, all sorts of references and it's and not much reference to anything before that period. Lots of pop culture too. Yeah, lots of pop culture, but it does not go back to the sort of <clears throat> like you know when you read a uh, you know Alan Moore back in the eight, mid eighties, right, right before Dark Knight yeah. Returns. Whenever he'd write Batman, he'd have the he'd, he'd do the goofy Batman chum thing, and but it'd still be like that kind of crisp Alan Moore. Uh, the way his dialogue worked back then. So it was still cool. And, you know, he's having fun with Batman. This isn't that. This is, you know, he's Murphy's mixed media Batman history is like the new, I don't know, whatever. Touchstone. He's got a unique interpretation. Yeah. And, you know, like I was saying, that word texture, it's just so heavily layered with, like, everything. He pays attention to all these little details. I, I hate to keep mentioning his drawing, but it just it just smokes and keeps you uh, captivated by it. But the concepts are, are pretty sound, too. Like, oh, damn, there we go again. There we are. Anyway, um, 
don't know, he just takes over the project with his personality. And so far, two issues in, it's great comic, man, so far. I'm like, Batman, read Batman. Fuck Batman and fuck the other shit. Just read White Knight, you know. Put back that metal. How often right. How often does Vern tell you to read a Batman comic? Never. Almost never. Anyway, here's one that you're going to tell us not to read. Oh, for far. Did you read it? I did twice. Ugh. Ugh. Doomsday I... Clock. <laughs> Jeff Johns and Gary Frank. Bring the Watchmen universe and the DC universe together, starting with Watchmen 20 years later. Because you know you've been asking for it. Everybody's come to my shop looking for this, the ad out of this. anybody asked for this fucking book? No. Um, not, a, not a hair. Like, after, what was it? Um... Before Watchmen proved that there really was not a way to sustain interest in this um, or a, a way to guarantee any type of quality, they always said they weren't going to do after anything after Watchmen. But now we're doing after Watchmen. And it turns out it's Jeff Johns doing um, it's really bad um, sort of lift of the uh, political stuff in the first series. Only it's Trump. Only it's set in 1992 and the president's actually Robert Redford. So, I mean, that's like the biggest compliment I think Trump has ever gotten is that like he's Robert Redford. Uh, Yeah. Especially in 92. So, I mean, it's just like, what the fuck is going on? And then Rorschach is still dead and the mystery of Rorschach. And if it's not, um, Night Owl, it's going to be stupid. But if it is Night Owl, it's going to be stupid. It's a terrible fucking just. It's silly. It's. It seems like it was written like it was plotted by a bunch of editors, and Johns brings nothing to it. Neither does Gary Frank. Like I don't. I don't give a shit about seeing Gary Frank draw this. Oh, I love his sadomasochistic scenes of people getting beat up. Nobody could do him like Gary Frank or his insane broads. Okay, there's not going to meet Gary Frank one day. I want to have a beer with Gary Frank and find out what a strange guy he is because some of the stuff he draws is fun to look at. But yeah, it was, it was, um, okay, it's, a comic's got to grab you and it can't just continue on from where it was at before. You know, it's, it's a disservice to Alan Moore, but I won't go into that. That's yeah. a rant. Day. Um, it would have been fine if they'd just like gone back and did a story of the Watchmen. If you want to go back, to a story like there had to be they, they had to be stories of the watchmen prior toward the events of the watchmen correct right you know pull a couple of those out of your ass people would buy that and enjoy it but this i know it's it's pretty high pretentious stuff that's the thing it like yeah. oozes pretentiousness and every everything means something and everything has a reason for happening and i don't know anyway i thought like it's been a while since i read it twice though um, Rorschach, when he reveals his identity, isn't that a African American hand, or was I wrong? You're wrong. I, don't know, I couldn't it's, tell. What's it? Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, because he, he sent his diaries out before. Oh so shit! Where is that? I was thinking, no. if somebody see it's a black hand. If it's a black it's hand, a it's a kid. Oh, they don't fucking. It's the kid, then. If it's a... no, it can't be. He wouldn't know how to use all the shit. The kid Seven at the eight. newsstand. 
Remember the kid at the newsstand? Well, anyway, he's old. Anyway. Right. Because yeah. you can just tell it's a different person by listening to him talk. But I go, ah, oh, that's not. But uh, see, he was there. So yeah. how would the kid find it? I don't know. He, he had his diaries. I don't know. It doesn't matter. I'm good for two or three issues, and then if it doesn't get off its pretentiousness, I might not be able to finish it. We'll see. That's, that's Again, my... I'm softer on Gary Frank. Yeah, but that's kind of my thing that's is funny. it's like I should at least want to hate read this thing, and I don't. I don't give a shit. It, it, it's just tough that they're just so befrit of ideas that this is what they got to go to for premier projects these days. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just you got nothing really going to go back to this again and I was like, okay, here we go. Right, anyway, anyway, uh, speaking of another, like, assigned comic book, and I'll talk to you at greater length about that. We got Howard Shaken and uh, Mac Ray's Rough and Ready 2 now. Yeah. And it's a bizarre thing. Like, here, here's my scenario. Marvel, DC, whatever, DC particularly now, because they got the Hanna-Barbera things. They're looking for things to publish right now, you know? And, and Studio Pros, Howard Shaken and Garth Ennis know how to milk the system. And say, you know, I could get a comic series out of this, okay? They're pitching. They need pitches. Well, I'm old and I can do it, you know? And we'll keep our buddies working because you'll notice that Garth Ennis employs uh, Braun and other people a lot. And, and Howard Chaikin has his Ken Brusenak and the other colorist, right? He brought with him for his book. And I'm thinking, these are still all right comics, but they're not inspired they're really nice products but they're not particularly inspired you know right and, and when you get to issue two and rough and ready it becomes apparent that after you've read it like you said in your review nothing really happens and i'm like yeah they don't really go from point a to b they kind of stand around at point a for 12 20 pages right. you know? and here's the thing though two different editors rough and ready to... one was done yeah. by the hanna-barbera people that have okay. been doing that Marie Javins and Brittany Holzer, I think. Okay. Two? Nope, yeah. they're gone. It's Joey Cavalieri, who's got to oh. be, what, 70 at this point? Like, he's been yeah. in D.C. since the 80s, and some, and some other dude. So they had an editorial replacement, and it's just like, so, what the Or, f- it was a pitch. It was a pre-done pitch. I don't know, it couldn't have been a pre-done pitch, because that... that that wouldn't be, it would have been timely, but you know, it's just strange. Like it really didn't go anywhere. It's really pretty. I love this guy's artwork. He's really good, but, um, you need something for him to draw. And there, exactly. there was not a whole lot there. He's making the girls really not very pretty. She's kind of like a stamp and, but the boys are cute. I like the characters. He's got talent. We'll see if he can stretch it out, but we'll get to the Garth Ennis stuff in a minute, but then we'll continue that thread on like editorial fluff, you know, I'm like, we need titles. We need titles. Give me titles. Uh, all right. Now let's talk about something that sound, that could be a, – it's a gimme title because yeah. they're doing it while the regular artist on uh, Black Hammer is too busy. So it's uh, Jeff Lemire doing stories from uh, Spiral City or whatever with Lucy Weber, yeah. daughter of Black Hammer investigating Sherlock Frankenstein and this holy shit this was it was a comic of the week it was so well constructed oh it's so good it's about so the Black Hammer villains are sort of a weird mix of 60s and lamer 70s villains 
Like when somebody in the seventies would try to create a supervillain, it would went terribly wrong. Jerry Conway did this all the time, right? Terribly wrong. Terribly wrong. These are those. These are those supervillains. Black Hammer. Like they're these bad ideas that never should have gotten into a book. But so this guy is Chitholu. It's what if Chitholu from Lovecraft um, it finds his messenger, yet his messenger doesn't want to be you know, bring about the Armageddon. He's just some schlub. Right. Yeah, he wants to stay a plumber, you know. He was like, I don't want anything to do that shit. I got a kid now and everything, you know. Uh, in terms of, like, the formatting of the comic book, it was, like, perfect because you get this. All these are one-off stories as Lucy, the daughter of Black Hammer, investigates her father's well-known villains to try to get information to find out what happened to him. And each issue has a particular villain, and this guy is, he's a, hes like your classic 60s, early 70s villain. He really is, you know, the corniness of it, and, but it's very dark. His relationship with his wife is really strange. Oh. And uh, <laughs> and David Rubin's art just captures the feeling of it just right on. I mean, the guy is, why isn't he working? A Dave, you know, if I was Marvel or DC, I'd say, somebody give me David Rubin's phone number. He needs to do a monthly for us yesterday. They don't, you know? do the, they don't have the fucking... What if you did have, like, David Rubin doing a Doctor Strange book? He could do the schedule. You just have to get somebody... It's. It was. Remember when they had the, what's his face, Brandon, McCart- Brandon McCarthy Doctor Strange book? Yeah, that was weird, yeah. Yeah, the weird one. They yeah. did that like that, three, four years ago. Uh, was that two. Buckingham? You're thinking of Buckingham, right? No. No, the Brandon Buck- McCarthy did the wow. Doctor, wasn't it? With and Spider Man guest starred. It was a big deal. Marvel delayed it forever, and it's oh, like geez. just, just no, just fucking put out a couple books like with indie guys on them. Like, who gives a right. shit? Like, come on, yeah. At this people, point, what do you got? What do you got to lose? People want to read this. I want to read Hannah Blumenbach from Spidey Zine on six fucking Spider-Man books. I don't fucking care. Like, I want to read her on every. I, I, they could relaunch the whole series with her doing it, and I'd read it. Like, yeah, yeah, that that was the thing. This thing was perfect. I mean, it was like everything you'd want in a comic. You just pull off the stand. It was a ton in one. It oh. was you could access it. The characters were good. And you know, and it was done just with from professionals who know what they're doing. And this guy, David Rubin, he is he is such a fine these days. He's the guy so can do good. anything, you know. Oh. Yeah. Uh, well, anyway, Sherlock Frankenstein too. Make sure you're reading this. This is go put back that fucking Don King Batman bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I've never read Tom King. You know, he's his stuff. He he he. he how would you say it? Excuse me. He has a fit. But it's on projects he initiates rather than, say, getting assigned Batman because he's... But he's the new Batman guy, right? Like, he's the new Scott Snyder. But he's better than Scott Snyder, I assume. Well, yes and no. He can write better stories than Scott Snyder. But no, Batman fans are kind of not there. They're like Snyder stuff better. Maybe it was all the show and blow. I don't know. Uh, But King is more of a formalist. And I don't think people read Batman want a formalist. I think they want somebody who can write Batman, essentially. Yeah. You know, I think it was a mistake, but that's all right. He'll go on to write other things. His other books are fine. Mister Miracle is fine. However, you have to have a pretty good knowledge of who all the characters are before you get the jokes. Anyway, I'll talk about a ex Vertigo editor that had a sig- 
successful comic come out. Uh, Shelley Bond, she was a big name at Vertigo too. Yep. And recently, IDW gave her her own imprint. I don't remember what was the name of that fucking thing. It's uh, Black Crown. And uh, even though this book is published out in California, it has this unique English feel. So far, they put out two things through them. One of them was their um, – what was the the primary – oh, Black Crown Quarterly. This thing's almost – it's got comics in it, but it's almost like a pseudo-magazine. And it's got a real English vibe to it with a lot of rock music and uh, allusions towards mysticism and uh, crazy artists and stuff. And uh, the aforementioned Brenda McCarthy, he's in there too. And uh, then their other book, Kid Lobotomy, which is kind of fun too. And they have such an ornately British feel that it kind of brought me back to the days when I was reading uh, Escape Anthology. And uh, these were pretty good books. I, was, I congratulated Shelley and I liked him and I liked Kid Lobotomy and his ownership of the Suites Hotel. And uh, he, she's got a new good group of artists on there. Who's doing the kid lobotomy? I wanted to mention that. Let's see. Peter Milligan's writing it, by the way. Oh, wow. Okay. Some of those guys you can go 50-50 on. Yeah, he, can either, he can either write something you can read or he can drive you nuts, one of the two. Uh, Te- Tess Fowler. She does a good oh, job yeah, on yeah. the kid lobotomy. Book. Yeah, the um, I thought Brock Conn Quarterly, it was, it was more like a magazine. It was a thick one. It was like seven bucks, so it was kind of a high one. The Kid Lobotomy is a normal three ninety nine comic, and it's more accessible too. But try them both if you got the cash, because uh, they deserve your support. How's that sound? Look at that, Vernon being positive. That's right. I will be a what do you call them people that have money to give it away? I don't have money. Yeah, I'll be a pseudo philanthropist because I'll be recommending comics. There you, you go. You have to pay for them, though. Yes. Anyway, you can have the next one because you're so. You're so oh. Uh, speaking of comics of the week, right? Punisher Platoon 3. Um, it's kind of like if you did. <clears throat> so, so for the younger listeners, if we have any, there yeah, used to be this show called MASH. And every once in a while on MASH, they go into uh, the base, or the town. Wherever the fuck they went in MASH, remember? Oh. Seoul. They go into Seoul, and they'd have a little adventure. And if there was a budget, there'd be exterior shots. And if there wasn't a budget, it'd be interior shots. They do it in the movie, too, right? They're on pa- they're on leave. Yes. Right? They're on weekend leave. The yeah. Punisher Platoon 3 isn't quite like that, but it's closer to that than anything else. You're getting to see Frank Castle. Anyway... Uh, well, the, the Punisher's some good stuff. It, it's, a, a, again, that word textured. Like, you, you say that he's investing time in his character, and Frank is not just a, a catalyst. He's making active decisions, and you're growing to like him as a character. You know, yeah, it's so degree. weird. Uh, we'll get to some more Punisher stuff later, but it is... Uh, it's... I remember back in, I think it was the late 80s or early 90s, they had the Punisher go to the Nam. Remember that? Yeah. And I'm sure he goes to Afghanistan. He goes to Afghanistan nowadays. <laughs> well, no, no, no. The in the Nam Marvel's war comic, the Punisher. They had oh, Frank he Castle. Yeah, yeah. That was during oh, your wow. period and not reading that shit. And yeah. it was just like their desperate attempt to keep the Nam going, but it always seemed like a cash grab. 
or like, you know, Wolverine showing up, right? Right. That yeah. Era. yeah. And with this, Ennis does not have that at all. Ennis is, I don't know. It's just, they're so good. The It makes me scared to go back and read Punisher Born because he wrote that before the Max series. Okay. Yeah. It, it, the, what, what strikes me is that is the, wonderful, subtle viewpoints of everybody who's a cast member. They're always, like, voicing their opinions. Yeah. And uh, the the Vietnamese commander is a, a really fascinating, multi-layered character that he's constantly telling his subordinates who don't have the patience for war why he wages war the way he does. And in the both instances in the beginning of the book with the young guy was mad about Americans and their dishonorable ways of waging war with their machines from the sky. And then later on when he has to assign that one young lady as to what her true role will be in the Viet Cong army, um, they're great moments, you know. And uh, it's just when Frank is uh, – it's very realistic. This This particular issue could be a cool bridge because like you say – he goes to civilization and he has to deal with the army. He needs better rifles because they're out in the rain and the shit and they need more um, reliable weapons. So Frank concocts a plan to go to their, well, a trade. And it's just a very interesting thing that Ennis, I don't know if there's any proof of it, but it's a nice little handle of way to him to write about the war in another exactly. perspective. Yeah. You know? yeah. And of course, Goran Parloff artwork is uh, fucking triple a bomber shit man i mean it's great stuff so if you're a punisher fan just read platoon you know if your dealer doesn't have it i don't know just treat him like frank castle treats his enemies <laughs> wow wow uh, anyway well, I, i'm out because it's out of print all of them <laughs> i'm screwed uh, uh, anyway right. some more Ennis coming up here yeah Unless jimmy's book, bastards what is it? I was reading in your review. They said that this is an ongoing now. It's an ongoing. It's an what ongoing the, series. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, I'm thinking, okay, six, seven, we're good, you know? No, but trade of the first six and then a new arc. Oh. And it's issue five uh, with the uh, real, real, how do you say it? Surprise conclusion. I mean, Great active scenes. Russ Braun, his usual cohort, does a great job. And this 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 is Ennis on another gear, where he makes fun of everything, particularly a James Bond type character that has many illustrious uh, offspring and many failed relationships behind him. Team up illustrious. as an army to finally get him. Yeah, but yeah, illegitimate. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> so uh, yeah, so. The book's been a rocky read. Like, the first issue was okay. Second issue was great. Third issue was okay. Fourth issue was okay. It got a little gross, you know. Yeah. And now <laughs> this issue's, you know, it's actually pretty good. But what the fuck? Are, this is a, you, this is, should not go on forever. Like, the joke yeah, is over. The on, the idea of an ongoing is, an, is a steady paycheck for Ennis. I get it. Uh, but this is like, and, but it's fun. You know, I like it better than I like, uh, what's it? Rough and ready or the other one we the talk next about. One, next. Dastardly, yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, this is a little better read and it's, it's kind of like there's, and this has different gears. Like 
Frank, Frank, uh, what do you call that? Punisher platoon is A gear, and then this would definitely be B gear, Ben, Ben, Ennis, anyway. Yeah, it kind of is. It's sort of weird. He does A gear, he'll do A gear for uh, mainstream shit he cares about. He does sort of B gear for Jimmy's Bastards, right, for smaller publishers. But then if he's just doing, you know, cash the check work, it's C gear. It's, you know, yeah. less than his B gear. Well, well, there we go. We'll, we'll use that. Well, Jimmy's Bastards 5 is a good read. We're, we're still on board. Russ Brown's great. But we'll see this into the other Garth Ennis book. We're such Garth Ennis whores around oh, here. It's I know. Bad. But the guy works his ass off, he so does. we have to give him some credits. Dastardly uh, and Muttley 3, is it? Who are they? Again, who are they publishing this for? I'm trying to figure out who's They're going to read us. This. They're publishing it for the two of us. <laughs> because. Oh, shit, I'm reading three, and I'm like, who the fuck is this book for? <laughs> I don't know. What is the audience? What is the audience for this book? I'm sitting there trying to think, what are my traditional audiences in my shop? And it doesn't match anyone except us, right? You you and I, okay? It's truly like Ennis grabbing the check. He's outside the DC. Oh, we need some Hanna-Barbera tie and stuff. He goes, this is like, all right. And I'll be back tomorrow with the script. You know, he's the first one at the doorway and he gets he gets one of the jobs, right? Because he's a smart guy like how he's shaking. He says, I can, I can keep this ball rolling, baby. But Dastardly and Muttley is so all over the place. Uh, the psychedelia, the transformation or transmogrification of the realistic characters and their Hanna-Barbera co- counterparts. Yeah. And it's real rough around the edges, too. It's not sweet, fun stuff. There's killing. There's phone, phony killing. There's cartoon killing. What's the name of that shark? I was informed that that's actually a cartoon character in the last issue. I don't know. Issue. I can't remember. But again, I'm not sure what this book is about, where it's heading, or who it's for, but I'm still reading it. You know? Yeah, I mean, you know. I give Ennis credit for that. You know? <laughs> <laughs> hey, man, I got a book about jack shit, and you're going to read it. Dastardly <laughs> and monthly, all right? And, and we get a laugh out of this. <laughs> but a month later, we're sitting there, oh, I'm up to issue three, man. I'm going to go all six. Uh, you need to get autographs on the fucking complete dastardly and motley from Garth Ennis. You know, yeah, we got to bring that shit up to him one day and say, what the fuck, dude? You had us hooked <laughs> out here for six issues of what the fuck was this? Because <laughs> like, uh, it's not like he's drinking. It's like, is he dropping acid? But, you know, he'd have to have an peyote? assistant. Yeah, is he on pay- but he'd have to have an assistant. Um Right, it down. Been Mr. Ennis can't be bothered right yeah, now because his pace is too good. Like it's too. That's what it is. It's like you can't put Dastardly and Muttley down. It's just like it's so fast, and you're just like, what the, what the fuck, fuck is, is going that? on? Yeah, I mean, it, every he keeps surprising you with these weird shit that's going on. You're like, you're trying to make sense of it, and you notice that it has some kind of structure going on here, but you still don't have a full grasp of where we're heading or what's going to happen. So three issues in, I'm still on board. My God, it's an addictive comic. Put away the Tom King, buy it, man. Read Bad Dastardly and Motley. That's all I can die. I don't know. It might just be made for Andrew and I. I think we're fully prepared to admit that, don't uh, you? Because it, it, it's not, it's not, it's nowhere near as good as Train Called Love. No, it reminds you of Train Called Love. It reminds it, you of it, but it's like somebody at DC read Train Called Love. I'm like, hey, let's get Garth Edison here to do a comedy. He's like, Sure, what the fuck? I'll do a comedy. And as opposed to this, like, intensely, uh, you know, 
Uh, I, it, I, I own this script from Dynamite. I think I can shoehorn death. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's just, yeah, I just, I just, I just reuse the uh, comedy beats or something. It's just very weird, you know. And it's got a comedy thing. It's black humor. Uh, it's a lot of weird. I would, little I would love if Darth Ennis in five years, what he's done with War Comics, goes on to some sort of comedy comics. He's always sort of dabbled with that, you know? He's always kind of wanted to, <clears throat> you know, what is it? The Dicks books, right? Like <laughs> he, was in a, he was in a bad way, I think, when he wrote the Dicks books. And the Dicks books are some older stuff he did when he was in England with uh, John McRae. And uh, they're horribly tasteless private eye jokes, which just go Wikipedia if I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> Right. So it's just like, I don't know. So it'd be nice if he finds a way to actually produce significant material, uh, comedy material, along with everything else. Maybe that's what he's on the path There's, there's someone out there that would publish it. Yeah, exactly. It would be a nice Exactly. Book. Garth, will you, give, will you give us a humor book? And see, wait, only if you're inspired, okay? Because you got to be inspired. But if you get inspired, make us laugh. You always do anyway. I mean, I, I don't know what the fuck I'm laughing at dastardly and monthly, but I'm still laughing at it. Oh, you know? just what All the right. Fuck? All right. But we get a masterpiece. We get oh, a masterpiece oh. next. I just, re- okay. it just finished off the it just finished. fourth issue of the first arc, right? Yeah. Well, the first series. He's going to do it in multiple series. Spice Seal. Rich Tommaso. Uh, said, <sighs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> a, a sometime indie creator that goes any way you want and. He's successful and sometimes he's not, but he really hit the nail on the head with Spice Seal here. If you're a Tintin fan or if you've ever read Tintin, uh, you know that Rich Tommaso loves Tintin, obviously, and, and did this pretty flawless homage with anthropomorphic animals <laughs> and English spies that all work on a case together, right? I think that's the gist of it. Yeah, it is. But it's more than that. Though. It's more than that because it's about, you know, it's about love and it's about art. You know, it's about how freaking awesome the comic looks. Like, ah, his, he has these uh, incredibly detailed um, landscapes, right? Background landscapes. Uh, And he does, they're not, they're not very, there's not a lot of depth to them. Yet he never gets busted for that. He never, you know, you're never looking at this beautiful Riviera thing and going, wait a second, you know, he's sort of playing with perception here. For some reason, he doesn't have to do that. It's just this wonderful, uh, clean style where he can, I guess. He, uh, he apes Hergé's in line style perfectly. And he adds like his own little details, but the whole book looks like it was inked with like one width of line, which is really uncanny to get away with like this. And to create that level of depth, the color helps obviously, but Tommaso's really on his game and the whole Tintin homage is perfect and his animals are cool too. You know, I I love the way the lead, the lead guy, Spy Seal, who's called Britain's slickest, Secret agent. <laughs> you gotta love it. How, how he's in 
love with his mentor, the big uh, Hawkman. Yes, uh, yeah, yeah, and it's just it's just so s- sentimental, and it has like action and adventure, and there's passages out of it that have a maddening amount of word balloons to give you this information, but none of it is dull, and it all just kind of flows off the tip of his tongue, and then you got these two or three pages of action where nobody says shit, and all this stuff happens, and they oh, fall off train. Awesome. You know, so good. For four issues, it's a great mystery. It really is. Yeah. Uh, and it, it possibly it, it beautifully sets up sort of the franchise, so to speak. Wouldn't that be nice if Rich Tommaso could do two or three or more of these at least? I oh. mean, it would be really a nice thing for his career. I mean, I want to see this thing as an album, you know, and it's going to look just like Tintin, and I'll just throw it up there with Tintin. I wonder how I, – I mean, there's going to be a trade. I wonder if it's going to be a little oversized. That would be wonderful. Yeah, that would be nice. Well, you know what? The comic pages are in the, the proportions of a comic, though. They're not in the proportions of the Tintin album, ah. which I guess is good. Let's not go too crazy so they don't get sued anyway. But you know what? It's over with now. You can either grab all four issues or the upcoming trade. But I don't think that's out until after the holidays, oh. sadly. So go beat the go beat the retailer that doesn't carry spy seal and tell him that we sent you. Um, All right, now you're going to talk about evolution because I don't I don't know what you're talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. You know what this game was an ash can a few weeks back, and I was talking to you about the coloring of it because the ash can featured in black and white. Oh shit! This is the one with all those guys writing yes. it. Okay. Right, right. It, it's right. it's it's pretty ba- it's pretty basic horror. Um, four people, uh, are, their lives are interrupted. A couple of them are looking for this, but it's like mankind's next evolution and it's starting to happen. It's horror, you know, and it's a slow burn, but the uh, artist and writer are pretty solid. But what is this? Four writers on this thing. Check this out. James Asmus, Joseph Keating, Christopher Sabella, and Joshua Williamson are all listed as writers. So they're all, I guess, huh? Image? Yeah. Yeah, and Joe Infernari is the artist, and he does a really nice job, too. hes I don't know if he's foreign or whatever, but he's pretty solid, and he gets through the uh, information, and he's able to do the gross bits just fine, you know. So, if you know, horror horror has to be real and has to be well-executed, or it's just boring. And Evolution does a pretty good job. I, I thought if you're looking for some scary stuff, that was a nice, convincing book. You know, like I said, the color, though, they use this. It's a pastel-y feel throughout the book, and I wish they'd just go back to black and white because it's much creepier in black and white. This is the book we were talking about that I was like, I don't know if I want to read this because of these fucking shitty colors. And you were and the like, PDF. Yeah, and you were like, what are you talking about? That art's great. And then you're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, I even wrote him an email. I said, you know what? Please reconsider the colors on this before you print this book. And it's probably too late, you know, but I'm just like, as soon as I saw it, I'm like, you know, don't do this. The black and white artwork is fine. Just let it run as it is, you know? Horror book. Do Yeah. Okay. Anyway. Anyway, Evolution is a good book. You like horror? On board. Good stuff. I anyway, I, don't read Jet- I didn't read Jetson. It's yet. a piece of shit. All right? Oh, man. Just don't get to the point. Why don't you? It's a piece. The Jetsons was a piece of shit. It's a weird, dumb piece of shit. So what was DC doing when they were handing out these Hanna-Barbera like, is the editor even paying attention? Like, like it seems like Jimmy Palmiotti, right? Is this a Jimmy yeah, Palmiotti thing? Jimmy Palmiotti book. Okay. You got Jimmy Palmiotti and you got Howie Chinkin and you got Arth- Garth Ennis all having a smoke in the hallway. And they hear the over the editors in there, listen, we need some Hunter Barbera pitches. 
So all these guys just said, hey, you know, well, I'll be back tomorrow morning and the first three get the job, right? So that's what happened with Jimmy Palmiotti and the Jetsons. He yeah. likes our site, by the way, so be careful. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I think, I think he's uh, – I think actually years and years ago – uh, years and years ago, the monolith. I feel like he and I had an interaction about the monolith online, and I, I think it actually ended cordially. You know, uh, Jimmy Palmiotti used to once upon a time like have a little mini comics factory of him and his fellow creators and do some nice pitches. Yeah, some so, of so some he did a lot of them. Yeah, he did. So, um, I think basically what we're seeing here is that. The first set of Hanna-Barbera books with the Flintstones and whatever else was at the beginning, that was where they tried to have the inspired creator choices. Yeah, yeah. Now they don't give a shit. Now it's like, okay, we're going to pay these guys scale to do a less than interesting book. And, well, Garth Ennis comes out ahead, probably followed followed a little ways back by Howard Chaikin and then this – does more piece of dryer nonsense from Bobby Is this Adi. all that's coming out right now? From no, you, you know what I just did the FOC for last week? Snagglepuss. Remember Snagglepuss? Not that well. That's the other that's thing. That That's that's Caldwell's new book about the uh, <clears throat> gay playwright that said going through oh, the – Oh, I 50- read that. Yeah, I read the, the – it was a backup. Okay, I'm ready I, for I, that. I'm ready for that. That I'm ready for. We'll see. You know what? And if I get one out of four and it's great, I'm dealing with it. I go. I can read uh, Dastardly and Muttley too. I'm fine with that. When you, when you, I guess when you people at this stage of the game say fifty percent is good batting order, I guess that's fine. Yeah. All right, redneck. Speaking of horror, <sighs> Jetsons are horrible enough, but we'll go to redneck. I don't know. Um, Donnie Cates. I'm still up in the air about whether he's a good writer or not. I'm, yep. I'm reading his newer stuff, and it's okay. Um, whether he has enough in the gas tank to get us through another arc of redneck, we'll see. I mean, it's kind of interesting, but he had the whole thing going in that first arc pretty good. But I don't know why he ended it that way, but that was fine. Yeah. We shall see. That's what I got to yeah. say. I didn't like that the art seemed a little off. Well, he's up to issue. Estherin, is that his name? Yeah, Estherin. I, <clears throat> I mean... The thing well, he's about, up to seven. He's up to seven. I don't know. I don't want to see him get lazy, remember? Uh, no, no, we, we, we don't want to. But once in a while, an artist, you know, has got to get 44, done. remember that. That, got, that fucking book got lazy, and it never got better. Well, I feel I, – I only hate to think what he made per page over at Oni that he's probably still not getting paid for. Okay. I mean, whatever. Anyway, so, but yeah, it's a redneck. Jury's out, but, you know, we're still on board. Yes, we're still hopeful. The characters are interesting. Yeah. And, and we sitting- know at this point in the second arc that they can be interesting. So even yes. if there's not enough in- of them in this issue, maybe there will be more. <clears throat> so Redneck is a good family vampire soap opera. I guess that's a good way to put it. Good, right? Yeah, good family comic. Yeah, uh- <laughs> it's good <laughs> Speaking of uh, family, uh, Angelic 3, which I'm sure... Simon Spurrier would love to sell as a uh, PG hard PG CGI movie to someone. It's got to be better than James Cameron. Whatever. I'm so fucking pissed off about this book. Like it's the third one's fine. Yes. Yes. The second one was great. The first one was fine. So we went fine. Great. Fine. 
<laughs> and this is the problem with sort of the problem with Spurrier is that his last series was like this. Uh, God Shaper. God Shaper. Six Gun Gorilla was like this. Right? Yeah, but, but Six Gun Gorilla finished well too. Right. But, right. So now he's to the point where he can't finish him well. He can't keep him Oops. even and he can't finish him well. But he had the spire in there and the spire was fucking perfect. Yeah. Does he work? He's worked with a different artist on almost every project so far that we've seen, right? Yeah. And I imagine that might have something to do with it in some ways. Mm. You know, Goonface was good, but he was obviously rushed there in some spots. Yeah. And this person here, let's take a look. Wingard. Is that Gary Wingard? Maybe? Casper. No, he's – this is – so um, Angelic is – Remember, everybody remember when Kurt Busiek did his uh, anthropomorphized animals? On lands. Uh, whatever. And yeah. it was a big deal. We've gotten to the point where everybody's got animals now. You got to try it. So, <laughs> Well, you know, it, it's not easy to do because right off the bat, there's no commercially recognizable cartoon characters for, for Simon Spurrier to grab onto. Mm-hmm. He has to make everyone. So the artist Winograd kind of has to pull the boat here. And he did a pretty good job of designing these characters. They're both yeah. threatening, but they're also friendly, user-friendly as well. And there's a consistent look at all the way throughout the book so far of Which this. Which is very impressive. Good. It is impressive. Yeah. Those are he's got some thick lines. And, and I, a, I rarely talk about lines. That's Vernon's job. He really but, does. There's, well, he inks it all with a nice uh, variety of brushes, and like I say, you see, right, see a lot. He's of got a variety, stuff. and that's like that's interesting because you don't actually see that very often in a. Um, I mean, think about Goonface. He did not. He did not have that much variety on the same page. Uh, well, look at the one we just talked about. Uh, the soap was it spicy oil? Spicy oil, right? Yeah, that's like utterly one type of line. One, one type, type of line. line all the way, you know. So it's very impressive on Angelic. I mean, so anyway. <clears throat> yeah, and, but and, the and, jury's and out. The jury's out. The jury's out on where they're going to go with this thing, you know, because the characters aren't fully sympathetic to me yet that's no. a problem and i yeah. think i think what pisses me off and, and probably pisses you off is the end idea and it hasn't seemed like that for a while because comics got really <laughs> shitty for a few years when roger langridge <laughs> basically retired right ouch i love me some roger Langridge. no you want to have a trade to recommend to somebody Right. Vern wants to sell somebody a trade. I want to be able to recommend a trade to somebody to check out, right? Like that's, that's how that deal. works. And you can do that as long as that's the difference between a trade uh no, we're not going to call it a graphic novel, but a trade that I will recommend you can't have to it can't be too bumpy. It yeah. cannot be a bumpy series because like well, that hey. makes a difference between a good trade and a great trade. You know, something you want to recommend. Something you want to recommend. And I and I mean, even though comics are more popular than ever, we still are at the point where the general reader is going to understand that maybe you're going to have a shitty issue before you have a good one again. Right. You know, like yeah. when you're reading a book and all of a sudden chapter three is a stinking piece of Close shit. Stuff. Yeah, yeah. You're like, hey, maybe I shouldn't read this book. Like, yeah, you don't want that. Floor, right. right. 
You know, and that, I don't know whether that's an editor or not. Who's the list? Let's see who's no, listed. There's no fucking editor on there. There's no book. editor. You see, and that's too bad because I don't know. The book is, if I was to say, uh, if if I was to say a perfect book, I'd say this book is 80% plus there. You know what I mean? Like, it's almost there. Almost yeah. there. And worth your It's a strong B. Reading. Angelic yeah. is worth your reading. I Right, it's a strong B, and it's uh, all anthrop. It's not even anthropomorphic characters; they look like themselves, so it's not yeah. really anthropomorphic. They're all like themselves. But speaking of anthropomorphics, are we there yet? Oh yeah, no. I don't have any copies of this to hold on to. You Angelic. Oh wait, we just we did just Angelic. Did that. What? Yeah. I, just it. <laughs> I just segued backwards, man. It's the oh th- my goodness, we're in a time loop. Okay, yes. so okay. no next Maestro. is Maestros. Maestro. You know, I was scared. I was like, I love this first issue. I was just getting ready to get kicked in the balls and disappointed in the yep. second one. Steve Scrosi is one of the best artists in the business, but I don't remember him writing much of anything other than Doc Frankenstein, I think, prior he to this. He didn't write it. The Wachowski sisters wrote it. Well, there you go then. So he's wrote Jack. So you imagine my, my trepidation at really like in a book like oh well what the fuck happened to steve scrosi in the last 20 years <laughs> that he became a writer <laughs> i'm really happy he is you know because the story about this wayward lad who's the gonna destined to become the maestro of the universe and by the way i saw the ending to two coming a mile away did a you? mile okay, away i, I did. did i did i did i said listen as soon as he rediscovers this person again i said this person has been under the uh, influence of this wizard for, what, 15 years, okay? To think of this as other than a tool of them, I think, is a mistake. You can do whatever you want with them, okay? But remember that they're a tool of what's their names. Just remember that. And and I think I think it's a setup. I think he set them up. So we'll see what happens. Right. And no spoilers either, so here you go. Um, anyway. anyway. Go ahead. Your turn to yak. So... What I liked about it, and we're getting a lot, you're getting a lot of, just in comics right now, we're starting to see a lot of people talk about social justice. I don't know what it's going on, like in DC and all the shit. I assume that they have it a lot more mainstream, right? I don't know. I don't read DC books. Right. We don't read, we don't read the books, so we don't know. So if, it ain't there, if, it ain't, if it ain't White Knight, I don't know. So. Right. So in Jimmy's Bastards, the joke is, is that Jimmy is sick of uh, political correctness and social justice. Right. And so, you know, it's just, it's just, and it's doing a cheap joke. You know, it's it's just that. But in Maestro, Scrooge brings it in as a serious plot point, like not a serious plot point, I guess, but a serious detail into the character that we're just getting to know is he's this naive idealist. And he's not even naive in that he doesn't understand that he's trying to solve big problems. He's just kind of like, you're a bunch of fucking wizards. This isn't hard. Like, yeah. Handle it. It's like... You know they're, they're telling you, well, you gotta you gotta slow down and all this stuff. Too much change and whatever. And he's just like, what the fuck are you talking about? Just you have no problems. Do it. Like, right. Do yeah. it. I'm, You're I'm the great magic. My my thought is reality. <laughs> right. Yeah. Like we're just gonna do. And so it's it's really nice to see that that Scorchy's, uh I don't know. 
I know when he when he goes about this this universe building business, it's great to to hear all the people who've existed under the old regime bitch about what they have to do and right and and, and, and you know now that it, all of us are equal now it blows shit as they say you know and you get so much good material out of it like you, you really don't do. use it just as a joke i mean that's the thing but i mean jimmy's bastards it's honest doing conversation so it's it's right. it's more for we'll that see if, if scrosi can make the big social point here because i hope i hope i hope that underneath all of this mechanization of the characters that he has a point you know because it's it, be it would be really nice it would be nice it yeah. would be nice otherwise it, it'll just be you know pretty awesome but i yeah. mean there's humor here it's not the haha of the first issue but it's, no. pretty, yeah, it's pretty 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 hu- pretty humorous nonetheless but still more dark but anyway maestro one and two and you know what your poor dealer probably can't get copies of this so don't slap him around just threaten to all right <laughs> You didn't and, read it? You didn't fucking read Kill the Minotaur? I did read it. Oh, you did? Oh, good. I did. You know, and I, I, I just, we're skating by this series. It's almost there. It's almost there. Obviously, Mr. Kettner is carrying the load of the artwork. Oh, just like a, like Atlas and, carrying the world. And in, in some ways, that's true. It's But it's a very basic plot. Like, what is it? Predator slash alien comes to Earth and becomes involved with uh, mythology. Correct. I mean, the whole point of the Minotaur is not that it was a mythological Minotaur, but that it was an alien being from another planet. Right. right? And I mean, um, it's like a fucking Roland it, Emmerich movie, basically. But it's not bad because Kettner's art's good. You know something? And, and if they were able to follow through on Kettner's art, okay, this this ending as it was, it can't be saved, but it could have been executed in a manner where you could see what happened at the stadium and I have an understanding more of what actually happened instead of just like making it an ironic statement at the end with calm characters. I'm not sure that really like helped it. Like the approach helped it at all. It was a weak ending anyway, but yeah, it's just like you, you got to milk it for what it's worth. So when you got Jules, is it, what's the name? Mr. Kettner, I don't know his first name, I'm sorry, Lucas, but yeah. Lucas Kettner, you just let him go nuts and, and draw all the fucking vicious mayhem he thinks he needs to do to finish this off, and then end it on a quiet note, and as an editor that's what I would have told them to do you know, instead they go for the, they go for the European, I'm on the boat it's almost like there are wealthy people on the boat in the Mediterranean just hanging out at the end you know, and I'm like oh, thud so you know what I love Mr. Kentner, but this book was, uh, up till now, it was acceptable anyway, I guess. (laughs) Yeah, this is what we're talking about. Like, this is the problem. Some trades you don't want to recommend because they end shitty, so that's kind of weird. Yeah, you don't want to order them for your store. That's why I read the fucking (sighs) books. All right, so Copperhead. Copperhead, this is one of yours more than mine. I get to read it every once in a while, but I did read the new issue, but I'm going to let you talk about it because you're more passionate than I am. Um, you know. Or maybe not. I'm, no, I mean, I'm still... Copperhead is getting to the point where Drew Moss's art is not developing as on pace. It's just not. And it's starting to hurt the book. Yeah, I have to agree with that. And especially for it's what... Got com- 
I say it's got compelling character. It's got, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I'm sorry. I mean, the characterization is compelling. We, if you've been reading the book, you fucking love the people. The revelations that uh, he comes up with this issue were good. But yeah, it's just kind of like it's getting to be one of those books where, like, I talked about it at length uh, about war stories. Like for a long time, war stories. You're like, am I gonna get through this? just for the writing. I don't like how close Copperhead is getting toward that. Right, right. It, when it has to rely too much on writing, uh, that's not Jay Farber's strong point as the writer. It's like he really needs to team up with someone that gives you a full universe, which the first series artist did, where they right. get us to a couple of trades with the material. Yeah. And then they started working elsewhere, which is fine. I get it, you know, and you find a newer artist that's inexpensive that you can work with. And what they've done here with Moss is all right. I don't know if they if they went much more than an, an arc. It might have been better to find another artist even. I don't know in this day yeah. and you know, you, you can't be too friendly. I don't know. But again, an editor would have solved this. <laughs> I don't know. Um, it's close. If you're a Copperhead fan, you'll probably continue to read it. I don't know. It's going to pick up new readers. Yeah. With the visuals, that's the thing. You know, you're not, you're, you're almost, and I hate to say that because a lot of series don't pick up new readers, oh, 16 issues in, you know, sometimes. So we'll see. It's, it's, it's a turning point. We'll see if Jay Farber can keep it going much longer. Oh man, Gravedigger's Union. Grave this, is, Union. this is a stupid comic I love, and I just what like What the fuck was this? I did I had no expectation of it going in. You really shouldn't. You really shouldn't. You like really this, shouldn't. I love it. Yeah. No. Yeah. The, the the three or four page thing in the beginning, this troglodyte thing, I don't I think I'm not sure if this is an artist indulgence for themselves. I'm like, I'm fine with it if they want to lead the issue off, because it, it works fine and it's nicely drawn. But the idea of the Gravedigger's Union about this this unionized group of grave diggers are trying to save the world from the undead. Um, it's just kind of brought convincingly elite to life by the, uh, is it Wes Craig and Toby Cypress? Yeah. Um, it's very simple humor and the characters take it so fucking seriously. It's, it's just, just ridiculous. Yeah. It's like a sitcom. It's awesome. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like a sitcom of zombie killers. You know right. what I mean? And the artwork by Cypress is just outstanding because uh, it is similar to the book that you've uh, commented on, Redcom. This person uh, is a very good computer stylist and has enough languages and tools at their composure here to, to come up with some real striking images and keep your eye really busy throughout this thing. Yeah. Uh, really sweet stuff, and I think you could really do worse than pick up the Grave Robbers Union or a Grave Diggers Union. Again, put down that let's see okay we have to do a marvel book put down all right put down that dance slot amazing spider-man and buy I mean, it. everybody Wait, should be go. putting that down what the hell are you doing still yeah. reading it he he wasn't good he didn't save spider-man it wasn't it wasn't what it was supposed to be right if you want serious soap opera you will read this instead You're much better <sighs> than peter pooper all Much right. better than Peter Pooper. So you didn't right, read Redcon 3? I didn't get to. I sold out of it before I got to Son of a bitch, I can't believe this book of all fucking books turned around. Like Good, good, because it I, was almost on the dying heap there. It, well, I, I didn't think I was going to read it. I was just like, oh, what the hell, I'll read Redcon. It can't possibly be good. Like Only four issues. Maybe I'll go to four. Uh, I don't know. All right, and then it turns. the entire book turns around, and it's like, the retcon concept comes in and all sorts of other stuff. And, you know. But they stick to structure. It almost fell apart in two. Yeah. yeah. 
and and one had enough meat on it to keep me going. So you're saying three had enough structure as well. So well, anyway, yeah, I, I out of nowhere, Retcon three, worth it. Uh, <laughs> so uh, okay, let's um, talk about coyotes. This is a quick one I can do. Uh, yeah, you know, like from the Brandon Graham School of Comic Book Composers is Sean Lewis and Caitlin Yarsky. Um, it's a very dreamlike book, very women-oriented and their place in society and how they have to kind of do a lot of evil things to maintain it. And, and it's all done in this, like, surreal, dreamlike haze that uh, Brandon Graham comics sometimes go towards, you know. And if you're a fan of that kind of stuff, it's decently executed, and the images are nice, and uh, it's pretty pro-girl. So, I don't know. Maybe it wasn't my cup of tea, but decently decently done. And for fans of this kind of stuff, they should check it out anyway. Every once in a while, I'll read something just to read it, you know? Mm -hmm. And I'm like, well, it's not for me, but somebody could get into this book. So I got to mention it. It ain't going to be me, though. Yeah, it's kind of like that, you know? Like, eh, there you go. It's fine. I like that. Enjoy. Kinda like that, man. Well, speaking of returning to form somewhat, well, we got to read what? No, wait. Do oh. we want to put in the other editions or Fujitsu? Uh, or do oh, you want I to do divided? At the end. Do you want to just because I got to do okay. Yeah, we got we got. All right. Uh, well, I got to do calling on Planet of the Apes because I actually fucking read that thing. Oh, you, you want to do it? You want to do it? Well, no. I mean, do you want to do? Did you want to do this as the end, or did you want to do this? Are you good doing this now? Are you good Fujitsu being the end? Yeah, that's fine. All right, go, go, Vernon. Tell us <laughs> all about how we chicken. No, not how he chicken because we haven't done Kaiju Max. Remember that? Oh, son of a bitch! Yeah, Kaiju Max. I should have updated the list. Sorry. Uh, all all right. All right. My fault. Anyway, Kaiju Max Five: uh, a slight return to form. Uh, Xander Canyon six to three arcs. You haven't read it yet? I Are read it. It's Are no, you? I'm agreeing with you with my expressions. No, yeah, it's like, oh yeah, this is good. <laughs> like, oh, what yeah, a, what exactly. a good like, comic. Like, he, he keeps it simple this time. Yeah. You know, he resolves all this stuff, and I'm like. Oh shit! Why couldn't we do this last issue? <laughs> I'm just like, okay, like I don't know that that means next issue is not going to be a steamer. Like, well, I give up. That's the last one of the season. No, it's you know not. There's mean? one more. Well, this is five. He only does six, right? Right. There's or one. This... Yeah, that's what I mean. Yeah, there's one more. Okay. Yeah. yeah this is the penultimate issue. Penultimate it issue, and it's just like, but okay. And, <laughs> like... I, and I never, uh, you know, looking at all these dinosaurs, right? And the plot about with Electrogore's son. Yeah. And when he's not around Electrogore, I don't even notice who he is. I know. And I'm like, damn, I got to read this over again because, well, the whole thing with Electrogore, you know, they, they kind of bring this along. And, but Goat Boy, oh, man. Oh, Goat Boy. Goat Boy, man. He's going to be one of the big characters in, uh, in Kaiju Max. No way around it, man. Do you have any more knowledge about... What would you call this? What would you call this blasphemous cult religious stuff crossing the river? Does that mean anything to no, you? No, not in fundamentalist terms or anything. Because no. I just wish I knew the metaphor here. That's yeah. all I'm asking for, you know. But Kaiju Max is a pretty good issue. I we're, we're going to read Kaiju Max no matter how bad it gets. I think we're going to finish yeah, it. Yeah, I mean, there's going to be that, but I mean, it's just like you want it to be good, and then you're just like, 
I don't want it to be this good because now I'm pissed off that it wasn't, you know, this at least a little to... bit better. Yeah. Like, what the issue, fuck? Issue three has been of a rough haul for Xander Kenyer as far as I, Andrew and I are concerned. We we normally love this book, but the third season was a, a, a slightly okay start followed by two really rough issues. Oh. And thank God for uh, issues uh, five here because it kind of brings the book back to form and you really feel for the characters now. And yeah. You're just written for the big finale of season three. It's almost like cable television. It's really bad. He really yeah. knows. He knows how to do this. Like his characters exist on TV, and he yeah. knows how to do this shit, man. Yeah, well, Kaiju Max is good stuff. It's rated R for many, many, many adult situations, including drug use, <laughs> sex with robots, and large Japanese robots, and general discourse among creatures from hell, you know, and stuff like that. So, good stuff. Good stuff. Good stuff. All right. All right. So what do we got? Okay, I got to do a quickie. You're you know not... something? I'm, I, I continuously uh, defend Howard Chaikin here. I, I can't necessarily defend Rough and Ready. I, I'm going to do one more issue and see how it goes. But this uh, book of his, Divided States of Hysteria, uh, he finished up issue five, which is at the end of the first arc. And I'm going to give him some, some kudos because much like another type of cartoonist, Robert Crumb, he doesn't give a shit about commercial aspirations here. He just says, this is what I'm going to do. This is what's on my mind. I'm going to fucking do I'm not even going to read any of the letters. He has a letters column, and he never reads letters, okay? He has a two-page diatribe, and I think that's pretty cool. And this is not, this is not uh, conservative, shrinking-based nonsense. It's really not. I'm not saying I'm a convert to his philosophy, but he states it out nicely. And in Divided States of America, he does a comic book story about a federal agent that has an impossible situation using people that he has no business letting out of jail to help him with and gets into all this shit to try to save a president of the United States that probably doesn't need it saving or shouldn't be saved. And it's just power chicken all over the place. And like Robert Crumb, he just kind of does whatever he wants. You know, this comic is not about commercial aspiration. It's just... I got to get this shit out. And I'm hoping that he gets enough fans where he could do another arc or two. So, I don't know. Divided States of Hysteria is really in-your-face, neoliberalist-type stuff with a lot of really conservative stuff in there, too, but a lot of transsexual and gay and all sorts of stuff and violence. Let's not forget the violence. But, you know, I don't know. In these times of Trump... This is this is the kind of shit you gotta read sometimes if you're like me and you're like, I need something to escape to. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus. Anyway, we got one more on the list. Are we ready? No, I got I'm gonna do Kong on Oh you got Planet two, that's right. Alright, well Alright, so Kong on Planet of the Apes, written by uh fucking the guy we like. Um Not the guy we like, man, what country he's from. <sighs> I really should have told you I wanted to talk about this one. All right. Uh, who is this guy? Uh, it's uh, Brian Farrier. Right here. Vern just went to get the comic, folks. That's right. Yeah. I didn't, have, I didn't have something. It's I Ryan, have Kong, though. Oh, it's Ryan Farrier. Remember Ryan Farrier? Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, so, he's, so he's reduced to writing Kong comics these days. Yeah, and it's this fucking weird, what happened, it's a sequel to the Planet of the Apes first movie where 
they fucking find Kong washed up near the Statue of Liberty. Oh, cool. It's fucking weird. There's all these, like, references to shit, the movies and everything, and it's like, eh, I wish it okay. wasn't six, but, you know, why the fuck not? Like, Yeah. You know, sometimes when you got these pop culture references you like, you know, I have customers that are really big Apes fans. I know you're somewhat of an Apes fan, too. And, you know, Kong is fine, you know. There's nothing wrong with that. If you can mix the two, fine. Somewhat of my own persuasion probably wouldn't pursue this comic, but I can understand a a battle fan, you know. What the fuck, yeah. Well, does he sell it? (laughs) Right. Yeah, I know. Um, (laughs) It's Carlos Magno again, you know, Boom's detailed guy. He never really sells it enough. He's too static. But anyway, his I mean, cha- his- I'm going to keep reading it. To, I'm going to give it to three at least. Uh, poor Carlos Magno. God, you know, like, he should get, I don't know, some of these guys, you wonder why they don't work at DC or Marvel. He needs an inker is why. He, whoever, yeah. Whatever the inking that's going on is not the inking that should be going on with him. All right. Yeah, that's tough sometimes. Like, it, it, and sometimes when they're, they do their own inks as a package deal. I think, you know, it comes out better, you know, and then you get these skimpy pencils and then you get somebody who inks it cheap for them and just kind of sticks to it. doesn't have any visual stuff going on. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe anyway. it's me. He's a little flat anyway. So anyway. Fujitsu three. This is a smoking little thing. Isn't what is it? this fucking awesome comic book? Oh yeah. my God. Dinitz, man. A, an interesting uh, indie writer just come up with this. Uh, what is he? He's like an immortal warrior in the body of a teenager. Something, something. And, he's, but he's a science warrior too. Like he's, uh, he's he's a science hero. Right. Yeah, because he thinks about things all the way through him and how he can scientifically or yeah. logistically do things. Yeah. The cartooning is really deaf too. I know. Saint Clair does a great I don't job. Like, I don't like the filter on it, though. I don't like the old timey filter. I think that's not good. Oh, I don't know. I'm just uh, as long as you do it in color. Yeah. The the fight scene with uh, whatever the hell his name is, Bronzo. Yeah. Yeah. Tallest man alive. <laughs> it it feels like Black Hammer light all of a sudden. Well. This is a genre of comics. It's not reg- regulated to Black Hammer. Uh, it's like parody of superheroes, you know. And I, as long as it's, it's parody, but it's it's when oh, it's Marvel a... and DC do parody, they rely on the parody. When these guys are doing parody, they're it's a more loving parody. And well, they're, it, world build, they're world building too. They're world building, and they're taking it seriously. That's the thing about Black Hammer and all of its. Uh, all of its internal mythology is, is that Lemire takes it really seriously. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I mean, I, I wasn't expecting this. I was like, Oh, I bet it'll be okay. But I'm like, this is a fucking awesome comic. Well, there was a, there was a weird twist in last issue where like his, his, his ex-girlfriend was like a robot. And he made, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. And then this issue, like he has this really cool fucking conversation with John F. Kennedy. I think it is. And he says, uh, we're on our way, Mr. President. And he says, I've told you, Foo. You've known me since I was a little boy. You can call me Jack. And he, and he says, if you say so, Jack. <laughs> and I'm like, 
this is great dialogue for a weird little superhero parody. I know. And yeah. it, it just it's it's perfect. There's no flaws in it. It's mm-hmm. not like it's an indie comic. It's super professional. I'm hoping they come out with the first arc really good because yeah. uh, that'd be a nice a trade. Weird, yeah. Oh uh, yeah, he's such a weird character, you know. It's I feel like it's almost uh appropriate for younger. You know, it's you weird might like get away with it. Yeah, I'd say older kid because of the yeah. sexuality kind of thing. Yeah, because like then you fourteen. Have... I feel like this is a good early teen comic. Yeah. Anyway, um, Fujitsu is definitely worth your time, man. I don't know. Just it's an aftershock, so maybe your dealer doesn't order it. Well, tell him the guy named Vern said I should take your you test over the other when, room. When I when I started reading Jimmy's Bastards, all I did was kind of make fun of aftershock, but. Well, couple, once in a while they'll sneak one in. Well, yeah, it's a couple good books. I mean, it's a. I mean, this is a really good book. Well, too bad their other product isn't as good. Well, I've read a couple they're of those. starting out. Think about Boom, man. You didn't read a Boom comic for how many years back when I was yeah. reading them? Yeah, yeah. What was that obscure Canadian company that was out when you were still living around here that oh. put out comic books? I don't know, Ocean Wave or some bullshit. And I was like, man, where do they come from? Where do they go? You know, remember well, I hope- Moonstone. Moonstone. No, not at all. See? There you go. There you go. They had like licenses from 40s uh, uh, radio thrillers. Oh, yeah. yeah. They did the noirish stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think every once in a while they'll still put out a Coal Shack comic yeah. or something like that. Well, anyway, we got a couple of TPs I got to run over here real quick about. Uh, Superman, American Alien. You know, it's not. It's it's a balanced read with some decent stories and some okay stories, but they're all written by uh, Max Landis. I guess he's a film director of some type. I don't know. Uh, you know more than I do. His but he father's gets, uh, Jan, John Landis, who you know killed Vic Morrow and two children on the. Uh, oh, okay. Yep. Well, then let's not mention. Let's not mention his <laughs> film connections. Then anyway, Max Landis wrote all the stories. This was like a a mini series, but it was nice because they're all done in ones. And he got to select different artists for the different stories. And some of them are quite nice. Uh, there's there's a lot of really high-quality artwork in here from people who really are good with this kind of stuff. Uh, and I liked it. I liked reading them. Now, not all of them are good stories, but there's a couple of real standouts. And if you're a Superman fan, this is a good trade. Uh, let's see. Oh, man, four kids walk into a bank. Okay, I'm I'm really hesitant to recommend anything by Black Mask. Because they're just kind of a pseudo-publisher that really starts comics and never really finishes them. But managed to get out five issues of this. And this is kind of a nice, goofy-ass independent parody that's got all sorts of influences, including Chris Ware on its sleeve. And kind of a nonsense, independent humor comic about these four kids that walk into a bank and want to rob it. Um, Worth your time if you like humor. I, I enjoyed it. Oh, they're creators. Hmm. Ross and Maurer and Rosenberg. Okay, that's it. And it's supposed to be a torrid tale of child crime, which it really isn't. And then my personal favorite this week is Jack Kirby's The Demon. DC got it right as far as the paper quality and reprinting all, I think it's 14. I should check here real quick. Uh, I'm going to guess about 14 issues of The Demon all under one cover. Uh, Actually, 16. Sorry, kids. Um, Nice stuff, man. And... uh, Kind of a pricey uh, trade at 30 bucks, but maybe if you give your dealer cash, it might cut you some slack. Hint, hint. And uh, But it's just really good primo, end of Bronze Age Kirby stuff. You know what I mean? And, and 
the demon is a great character that he invented and fun to watch. And, and there's other ones. Clarion is invented in this series. And, and there's a lot of interesting characters. So it's good Bronze Age material and worth your time. Ah, too many comics. How do we have time to read all this I shit? I don't know. It's weird. I, I, I just remembered. We're going to get to it in a second. Vern and I were just planning on doing this, uh, recording this last week as a quick episode. And then we realized we had way too many comics in three weeks. So yep. we, we needed to do a real episode. Uh, one thing I wanted to get to before we get to uh, TV. Oh, you don't want to talk about Justice League. If you want me to talk about Justice League, I will. If you don't, I won't. But this is well, just... I'll make one quick point, and then you can rant for a second. Well, um, the Rotten the Rotten Tomato score for my customers was like sixty five to seventy percent because they had such low expectations going in that they really <laughs> didn't mind seeing it, and they thought it was okay, and they wouldn't necessarily recommend it, but they enjoyed seeing it. So it gets a pass, I guess. For that, that was it. So how about you? What's your take? And ooh. Shit. <laughs> I, I mean, but I mean, it's like it's like you can't even be angry at any like necessarily any of the actors or the directors or the writers because they're they're this thing never should have been put together like this. And there's all these exposés now about how like <clears throat> Warner wasn't willing to delay release because they didn't want to look weak for the AT and T merger and shit like that. And the uh, pre- the war- the executives, if they didn't get it out, they wouldn't get their bonuses before the merger comes along, and they might get shit canned and stuff like that. So kind of it's a beast that takes its own life on. They're and calling just have- it a Frankenstein, anyway. Yeah, yeah, I think I I think I called it a fucking Frankenstein in my post before anybody else did, but whatever. Uh, yeah. No, I didn't want to talk about that yet. But anyway, no, I want to. I want to. This isn't for you, Vern, because you don't give a shit. This is for <laughs> our, our countless listeners who may play uh, video games. Since we know Vern doesn't, oh, I get Injustice. Wow, wow, everybody, he's getting up and leaving. Uh, Injustice Two, the boy. I don't know. I don't know if this is on the mobile one. If it is, that's even cooler. You can play as Hellboy. I don't know who does the voice, but they have Hellboy scenes with all the fucking DC hero, whatever, that you're fighting, the heroes and villains. It's a fucking Hellboy fighting game. It's the coolest thing in the world. You're Hellboy and you just beat the shit out of Batman. Like, why the fuck okay. wouldn't you? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So there I you go. It. Yeah, exactly. Of course you can, because you got to think about it. You're just Hellboy beat the shit out of people. Like, <laughs> yeah. All right. That that was my plug for the idea that we should all play. Oh, boy, get it out with Wonder Woman. There you go. All right. So this week was uh, the CW crossover, Crisis on Earth X, which Vern watched appropriately in two nights, and I watched in one block. No shit. Wow. We that's forget. four hours. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Congrats! I was the like, the wife was was not thrilled. She, she thought was probably dumb at the end. Yeah. She thought there was two of them, and then I got her to watch the third one. Then she's like, "Well, well the we next finish. one's not on until next week, right?" And I was like, <laughs> "No, nah, no, we got it right now." Oh, your poor wife. She has my deepest sympathies. <laughs> I mean, it was it was great. Um, yep, worked out. It had some wild moments. 
The special effects uh, speak. The red tornado scene, Vern, is better special effects than anything in Justice League. Yeah, really, like, no joke. Well, it was pretty convincing. The red tornado, as slow as he was, he was very convincing. Anyway, yes. Um, there's some cool stuff in it. Uh, Killer Frost or Frost is is working out like as a yep. super, as a super ant super antihero. Yeah. Um, I like the way that she like disappears, you know, and Caitlin doesn't take your body over for like a day or two later sometimes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's all working out. The only Joe uh, West given the uh, speech at the first episode, I think. And then getting dumped. And then he gets, <laughs> well, he doesn't get dumped. He gets taken away. They bring back <laughs> Wally last week on The Flash only for Wally to then leave again. They literally yeah. brought it back to the take Joe. Just to leave again, right. Right. Like, the show owes Wally an episode, in my opinion. They I need, think so. Yeah, he got dissed, yeah. They yeah. need a Wally-centric episode. Anyway. And um, the Arrow stuff, I never want to watch. Like, Jesus Christ, he's mopey and romantic I, now. Oh, oh my I, God. I, and then they get, you know, and then they do what they do at the end. And I'm like, oh, my God. This is fucking goofy ass shit you're right Ugh. it doesn't encourage you to watch arrow sadly enough no um, and you don't want to be no. a catholic priest on the wb because they make it clear what they think of conservative sexual attention and stuff like that <laughs> <laughs> so yeah um and alex from supergirl needs a fucking super outfit like if she's gonna be in the crossover kicking ass <laughs> You know, her black jeans and her PVC and stuff is fine. Cisco needs to give her a name. Cisco needs to give her a name. Ass whoop. (laughs) They mix the characters really well, too. Like, I felt like. Yeah, Alex and White Canary did pretty good. I was more thinking about just, like, how Supergirl is in the girls group. Because it's a very, it's a girl power thing. And it works out a lot oh, better. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it works out Especially better than... And then, what do you call it? Felicity and Iris uh, yeah. taking on the Stormtroopers. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, there you go. Crisis on Earth X. Awesome. Yeah, it was. It was pretty good. Uh, the whole CW... It's, it's like we went from like uh, a famine to feast as far as like the first half of the season... Uh, no major flaws on any of the shows. They're turning over characters like they usually do at the Legends of the DC Universe. Yeah. And uh, Flash is still lively. Yeah. You know, it's still lively. And so is Supergirl. So, so far, so good. Anyway, this is where we're really at is the end of the show where we're going to talk about The Punisher, the, the Netflix Punisher series. From the Netflix. So. Everything in Daredevil season two that's great is Frank Castle. <laughs> yes, a lot of it is. He's the focal point of a lot of the shows. And then when it gets with Karen Page, yeah, especially with Karen Page. And then once Elektra shows up and Frank goes away, the season kind of went to pot. Um, and the last time we saw Frank was in a terrible composite shot, saving Daredevil's ass at the end. Anyway. <clears throat> So he's back in this and it's um I like how this isn't really set in the Marvel universe. You know, and I was telling people you could watch this series in any wherever you want to. You don't have to watch the rest of the Marvel universe. You just go straight no. to Frank. Yeah. Hey. 
It's because uh, it deals with uh, vets from uh, Afghanistan and Iraq and government corruption. And they, they wisely don't throw in any stupid Marvel movie stuff like, you know. No, no. It's all from the comic books. And then there's a lot of social commentary about what it means to be a veteran and how people and are treated as soldiers. Stuff. Yeah, today, yeah. right, where they're at. And uh, Frank's uh, ex-fellow members, you know, they're a prominent role things, and they all have baggage with Frank, and that's interesting to explore as well. Yeah, and I mean, it's like some of the, some of the, the sort of uh, post-war vet um, perspective comes from Ennis's Punisher Max series. Not, oh, yeah. yeah, not specifically, but, you know, it's the tone that they're the going The tone of the series is definitely Anna's Indian. Yeah. Such- but the thing is, and, like, at some point, I just, like, stopped and turned to my wife and paused. It was like, dude, these, the reactions to these, uh, these incidents and these issues are about a Vietnam vet, yet we're back to the same fucking place we were with that, with the Iraq War II vets and the Afghanistan vets. And it's like, that's fucked up. Like, it's we, you know, details are different, but you can apply the exact same approach. Um, well, if anything, the, the principles have become more businesslike and accepted in later wars than they were originated in the right, Vietnam. Because you've got the whole uh, mercenary thing going on, too. But you, a big aspect of it is. And the, how big these, uh, what you call it, U.S. agencies have grown since right? the time of Vietnam now as well, yes. There's so, so many, so much social commentary. It's pretty outrageous. Yeah, and at the same time, it's um, it's got a disturbing amount of heart and sympathy with micro. Yeah, yeah. That that was the thing. He's he's played as a likable character, which is okay for the sake of bringing Frank and giving him a human face, I guess, to some degree. We talked about this because he can't be ultimately Ennis's catalyst. He has to be a character that appears in all 13 episodes, and you have to sympathize or empathize with him at one point or another. And yeah. I think having Micro helps that. Yeah, and you get to – and it's like the Netflix Punisher is uh John Barenthal's Punisher is as violent as Frank's as efficient easily, easily, but he's not, it's not, he's not Ennis's Punisher. They no, Ennis's Punisher is merciless. Yeah. They actually, you know, they, they soften him up a little bit. They so, I mean, they soften him up, but they also don't. Like, they've laid the groundwork that this is, like, who this character is. It feels well, like he, young Frank Castle, like, the first, until the last episode, really, because the end is a bit of a twist. Like, that's a big fucking deal, that end. Yes. In my opinion. Like, that is a big fucking deal. Like His for, act of mercy. Kind of. No, not, I'm not even talking about that. I'm talking about where Frank is, the last shot, what Frank's doing in the last scene. Oh, well, yeah, that's the soft landing of the series, in my opinion, which is fine. And it's necessary for television viewing mm-hmm. and the point of the directors who are trying to get it across. Again, I feel it's a bit of a soft landing, but I understand because they want Frank ultimately to be a character they want to return to. 
and this right. is his thing. And it, it works well with the characters. You know, that was the thing. The padding of the characters didn't hurt the 13 episodes of The Punisher. Mm-hmm. It kind of helped them along. And, you know, uh, to me, still the strongest one is issue is episode 10, where so much shit happens, and you have to keep track yeah. of the time and backwards and all that. And it's just killer stuff. It's really good television. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I'm, I'm all about that. Yeah. So. The Crazy Kid was good. The Crazy Kid was good. All the acting was good. The fucking villains were good. Yeah, the detective, the Homeland oh, Security. the Homeland Security badass lady. She was cool. Yeah. Yeah. She was good. Yeah. Yeah. She played both a mental toughness and a physical prettiness pretty well and yeah. didn't over D with, even in the sexual scenes, didn't bother me or make her, me think of her as a princess or anything like that in any of that no. stuff. Punisher is the oh, first. Wow. Punisher is the first Netflix Marvel series that's like, we're going after the HBO nudity or and shit like that, like sex scenes. Like at one point, I'm like, I'm not watching Game of Thrones. Like, come on, get on with this. Yeah, yeah don't make me see like breasts and, and organs or anything. I don't need to see that shit. Okay, that's fine. You know, I'm we an can old, do it. R- yeah, yeah. Keep it R rated. Let's put it that way. That's fine. So yeah. Um... Yeah. There's just that one where one of his, his compatriots is watching him work over that colonel later on, and he's working on a guy's eyes, and he goes, damn, Frank, I love to watch you work. <laughs> I started <laughs> laughing my head off. I'm like, man, because it just contrasts the hideous violence with the sense of humor that he feels about Frank killing this guy. And it's just, it's very Ennisian, you it know. Is, yeah. Uh, what was it? There's a scene involving a colonel and a prostitute and latex dress and ball gag and spanking yeah, that that's all Ennis all the way down yeah. and even though he's it, it, it's great because even though Ennis has a love of war and respect of war stories he will still set people in the well and that's like the weirdest things thing. that probably aren't true but just for the yeah that one is more of an Ennis and Dylan thing so I mean you're getting the whole oh, you're getting the whole thing here they're taking the Ennis Dylan stuff that you know and they're making it and they're putting it in, but they're keeping it with the Punisher Max tone and they're making that work. That's really cool. What was I looking up? Yeah, I wanted really. to look something up. I one of the scenes that. was when he gets back in the van with Micro after one of his foyers and he discovers that he can't kill these soldiers because they're just obeying orders from people. Yeah. That, and he says, it was easy. He says, damn, it was easier when I could kill him. And he can't do it anymore. He realizes he can't kill them. Some of them he can't. Like, I don't know if, if there's a certain level, he has no hesitation, you know, like at microbes fortress, he had no hesitation to kill these guys. They're just corrupt. They're here. They're corrupt. Yeah. Plus the whole give and take with his memories of his wife and oh how my he God, always it's woke so, up to his... It's so sad. It it's is. Just it's like, it's oh. tough. Yeah. You feel bad. I mean, Frank is like likable because you feel so sorry for him. But yet he's a killing machine. Yeah. And he kills with like without remorse, without compuncture. Yeah, it's <laughs> it so was cool. funny. Even the end scene, which is pretty sta- stable, pretty standard stuff with the merry-go-round. I was kind of reminded of Clint Eastwood films for some reason. I think he did one of the merry-go-round. Yeah, the third, uh, third Dirty Harry or Fourth Dirty Harry's at a merry-go-round. Yeah. yeah, that's what it reminded me of. And I'm like, okay, we're going back to the scene of his uh, family's crime. I get it. 
but he spends so much time fucking this dude up that he kind of like forgets about the hostages and the cop and stuff like that. And I'm like, uh, here's the people that are bleeding out. You really have to give some consideration there instead of working over this guy, you know? Uh, well, that's about as good as we get for not releasing spoilers on some of the stuff. But, but it was, it was really good. And you can watch it like independent of the rest of the series. If you don't oh, care yeah. about You don't ones, need to fine. at all. Like it, it, his, his interest, his thing with Karen Page, she was strong. Yep. And that's kind of good. That's good for him. It's like the Hollywood directors realize what they need to do with Frank to make him successful as a character on TV. And they were very good with that. And I like that. He does not just like it. He's not just an NS character. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you could not, you couldn't do anything more NS than this. I don't think without just being like, we're going to do this once and nobody's going to ever want to fucking see anything like this again. Oh, you know what they could do? You know what they could do to do that? They could show the uh, the ultimate of his relationship with Micro, and that somewhere down the line, that would be it right there. Oh my it? God! That's because that's. I was like, they're not gonna, they're not gonna do that. No, they? not now. Not now. Somewhere I, down the line. I, I don't know. I don't know if they need to do that. I don't. I mean, that's kind of the thing. Is is. <laughs> I, how do you? Well, it this? would put Frank in a different place. Well, it would put Frank in. A, but how do I, I'm trying to say this? The Frank Castle of uh, the Netflix series is uh, remorseful. Well, it's not just that. It's like there's uh, since he's not a the Vietnam vet, Frank. The acknowledgement of PTSD is very oh, different, and it plays into this very much. Like, and you're right, Frank is definitely a sufferer of PTSD. Right. I mean, there's no around it. So, I mean, yeah. Yeah, and you get sympathy from that as well. I didn't even think about that, but you're absolutely right, yeah. yeah. And, and I don't know, it, it's just so well. It just closed it's, well. Like I say, it was yeah. a soft landing, but it was fine for that. You know, it didn't hurt me at all. It made me feel, it, well, it just makes you go like, I, I don't know if we need another, like, it's going to be hard for them to do another season. I think they're going to be able to do it, and I'm interested in how they're going to do yeah, it. Yeah, they certainly got the villain for it at the end of the yeah. thing, so. Well, no, I, no, he's season three. Season two, they want Barracuda. Okay, that's fair for me. I'm just like Barracuda in this sense. Like that's going to be interesting because Barracuda. Yes. Oh, he brought was, a lot of social baggage of his own. He brought, up, but that was what was it that the Barracuda limited series was good, but the Barracuda, yes. but the With Barracuda the- arc is not right. That's like the weakest arc in the whole fucking Punisher Max line. It, Easy. It, it kind of is. Is it the one with the kid? It's the one, yeah, it's the one where Barracuda's hired by the 1% when Frank goes okay, after him. right, right. Yeah. And you know, well, you're right, it's the weakest arc, but it's pretty dramatic, you know, use of characters and stuff. Yeah. Like, he's not just the Barracuda, he's everything that Frank hates. Yeah. You know, and and, and vice versa, probably. And he's probably the- his biggest nemesis. Yeah, and then the Barracuda comic series is a is a Ennis War comic. It's fucking great. Like it's terrifying. Yeah, it's yeah. terrifying. When he did a funny one, wasn't that the funny one, or was there's a serious one? There was a serious one that establishes Barracuda, and then when he comes back later on, that's that's one thing. But there's a side series of where they've got Frank's not in it. It's just a Barracuda side series that Ennis wrote with. Might have had Gar- Goran Parlov on the artwork. I'm not really sure. Which is the which is the war series for Barracuda? 
he's in the regular series. The Max, Marvel Max or no, something. No, no, no. He went to he didn't they do a Vietnam flashback with Barracuda? It's yes, they they might have. I think you're probably right. A serious mm-hmm. one where he was in it. I don't know if he was a star of it though or a focal point though. Hold on. It's possible. God, we're we're just such anasites, we just have Dude. to chase them. No, that was in the Fury book. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Fury of all characters. Okay. Remember? You know, he's always one Marvel always wants to link those two together and I've always resisted it. Like Fury doesn't belong as part of Frank's universe and I've never I never liked volume three of the Punisher Max anyway, just for that reason. Anyway, so yeah, that was it. And then, yeah, there's a Barracuda funny book that I don't Yeah, but it's dark and it's worth it? reading. And it? It's it's okay. fun Ennis. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't remember. I don't remember. I just remember that the Punisher arc with Barracuda is not good. <clears throat> no, no, no. It's kind of bait in the check. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, so, but I bet they'll be able to do it on Netflix because how the fuck did they pull this off? Like, you know, it was an amazingly good series of TV shows. I mean, the only thing that would turn the average person off is the amount of violence. But other yeah. than that, it's pretty good. There's not much in the way of sex and. Um, it's got a lot of talky scenes you got to kind of pay attention yeah. to. I love how um, the mundaneness of the fucking CIA, how how they or the homeland, how they just go over the top with it. Like these shots, the d- direction on television is getting a lot better. Yeah, they just have like a hallway and two yeah. little duckways, and then her office at the end, and that's pretty much all you see of the place. You know, it's all you see of it. Like, yeah. So anyway, good yeah, stuff. You're right. Yeah. Oh, it really is. Definitely watch it if you can handle the violence. It's worth the time. Yeah. Well, man, there we are. We we crammed them out. We got another episode. I have chocolate. no idea how long this is. And it's about... we get... Oh, yeah, we don't yet, do we? No, yeah. that's right. It's probably about two hours. Anyway, uh, I apologize for all the audio stuff you guys are going to hear because Vern and I had some problems, but I, I edited most of it out. So. Cool, cool. cool. Um, or maybe we'll squeeze. I don't know if we'll squeeze another one for the holidays. That would be lucky at best. So no, we'll I think uh, I think we're at the point where it's time to just talk about how we're going to have to do best of the year pretty soon. Oh God, that's right. Yeah, yeah they won't have too much yeah. new stuff coming out, will they? No. Oh. All right. Yeah, it'll be a thin year. I mean, we got. <laughs> it ain't gonna. It's gonna be pretty easy. I'll go Did anything the good? I... Oh fuck! You know what? You know what hasn't come out? What? Sabrina. This they year, it's fucking came out. Li- it did, and they promised another one in a couple months. Right. Remember that? Remember that? Well, they got the CD. That CW shows given ratings though. Whatever. So. Whatever. Where's my Whatever. fucking Sabrina? They promised me another one. Remember that? They promised me Verded. Yeah, we may never. I know. I'm almost like to the point where they've lowered themselves on the rack. I go when they publish something new, I'll bring them back up again. But until then, I'm not going to push their stuff anymore. You know, it's kind of tough because they're just such great little stories. I know they're fucking great. Well, you know what? I'm, I'm going to say it right now. History of comics is written on things like Fujitsu. You know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, Max. These are things that will never get popular. They'll never sell to mass media. They may never even become expensive comic books, but they'll be the best stuff ever done. You know? Bob Fingerman. Jesus. Yeah. 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 All right. All right. Well, hey, it was good. It's only 8.26, too. We did pretty good tonight, all things considered. We talked about a lot of stuff. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Just enough anyway. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, everybody go uh 
What? There's nothing else this year. Star Wars is coming out. Vern, did nah. you go to see Star Wars? Nah. 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 Not, since, not since after college or whatever. Nah. All right. I'm TV guy. All right. Have a good night, kids. We'll make this quick. I, yeah. I forgot we were ending the podcast, man. You I'm out of it. Yeah. We got we to gotta go now. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night. Later.